What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. It's been a minute, but I'm back, and I've got a great episode to get things rolling again with you. And I've got a bunch more lined up over the next few weeks, so make sure that you are subscribed on whatever listening platform that you listen on. Send this to your friends. Share it via text message, Instagram. You can follow on Instagram at Real Curious Jones. It's the best way that you can support the show. I appreciate it a ton. Make sure you engage, send messages, comment, do all that stuff. Uh, my guest today is somebody who I've had on a short list of possible guests since the very beginning of this podcast. For a number of reasons, I was never able to pull the trigger and make it happen, but definitely was one of the first people that I reached out to when I got this thing back rolling and wanted to make sure that we had the chance before it slipped away. Couldn't be more thankful that he was able to make the time. And we talked about everything that I wanted to talk about. So his background is uh, that as a Navy SEAL. He spent almost a decade uh, as a SEAL, uh, multiple tours of duty overseas, and uh, a member of the elite parachute group called the Leapfrogs. And he's a huge, huge skydiver, really into base jumping. And if you've ever seen the people in the wingsuits that they call squirrel suits, he does that as well. Um, we talked about all of it and even got into what he's been doing lately, uh, which is coastal brown bear guiding and photography in Alaska, wild shit. And he's now doing work for a company called Protect, which is awesome. Uh, I was checking out their products. They've got really cool stuff, including uh, like safe sunscreen, which my wife is like super excited about. So uh, make sure you check out Protect. We talk about that at the end of the podcast. Just an awesome guy. So thankful that he was able to come on. And I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Please give it up for my guest, Trevor Thompson. All right. What's going on, Trevor? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. You're still on the West Coast, right? Uh, no, actually, I'm in Utah. So oh, Okay, mountain time. Yep, mountain time. Fantastic. Well, shit, man. Thank you so much for making this happen. Uh, I was telling you, I have like a short list, and I've rewritten it multiple times. I've got like my podcast notebook over the last two years. And uh, there's been a, a list of people who I'm like, man, I, I would love to have a conversation with them. Sometimes it's like, I don't know that I'm, I'm really ready to have. It's like almost in my own head. Um, other times it's <laughs> timing. Uh, it's interesting. Andy, uh, who you know, is, is one of those guys I've traded messages with. And it's uh, as somebody who's not, you know, had any experience in the military, I've had some really interesting conversations with people who have served and especially, you know, special operators. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know if it's just a mentality thing. Um, there's just a lot of relatable things that I, I feel like I, I like to broach, but more so like where that's taken you and where it's taken others, right? The journey after the military and how the mentality, the discipline, how that feeds into the next chapter of life. Um, it's really interesting to me. And like, you are such a wild dude and, you know, whether it was, you know, hearing you on other podcasts or following what is like, by the way, go check out Trevor's Instagram because like you, you may, even my wife, she's like, who do you have a podcast with? And I sent her your page and she's like, it's, he's a photographer. I'm like, yeah, he's a photographer. He's got art school background. You're like a 
a real life Renaissance man. So uh, <laughs> I say all of that uh, to again say thank you because um, really looking forward to this one. It have been for quite some time, even though I just reached out to you recently. So awesome. Yeah, sounds great, man. Yeah. So, you know, as far as setting a background to all of this, you know, eight years as a SEAL, um, specialist in parachuting, you're a base mm -hmm. jumper. Um, you're one of those crazy nuts that flies around in a squirrel suit, uh, or at least used to fly around in a squirrel suit. I don't know if you still, I, I still do planning to go this August. No shit. Okay. Yep. So I, I would have to imagine that there's some level of interconnection between all of the interests. You know, I think maybe a common person would think it's an adrenaline junkie. I would probably think that it's more, it's a little bit deeper than that. Um, but yeah, um, I, I've, I've constantly retorted to people when they say, uh, adrenaline junkie or somebody who needs dopamine, um, is that most of the people that participate in things like that, or, um, I, I mean, I backcountry ski a lot and, uh, I climb and the common denominator is those people are experienced collectors. They're not adrenaline junkies. There's a saying, right? Um, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Yeah. How much of that plays into it? Especially like the things that you're doing, the journey is tough, right? Like I know um, jujitsu, I, I don't know if you still roll. It's, it's something that, you know, I do not very well, right? I'm a blue belt, but the journey, showing up every day, putting in the work, um, hunting, you know, going out into the woods, earning that meal, earning the the hunt, uh, or, you know, being somebody who does a, a high risk parachute jump or base jumping. Is it the journey or I guess, is that a different way of saying that as opposed to like that moment of excitement where it's all culminating in the jump? Uh, it's, it's kind of both or well, not. It's kind of both. It is both. That journey is in it of itself an experience that is worth having. Um, you know, say like uh, archery hunting, I, I would encourage somebody to get into doing archery regardless of if they even end up shooting an animal with a bow. Um, the same thing with say fitness or like you're mentioning base jumping. Like if, if you want to get started in any of those, the very first few steps are going to be worthwhile to your entire life, regardless of if you end up doing that last step, which is say base jumping, you know, if you're going to start skydiving or in fitness, maybe it's completing a, a, a mountain marathon, right? Mm -hmm. I heard you say something somewhere around, you wouldn't recommend base jumping uh, to anybody. You would almost kind of steer them away. And if they were to continue to, to push forward, then you'd be in like somebody there as a resource as, as yeah, a lay person. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've done that a lot. I've done it recently and I will continue to tell people not to uh, base jump. If they continue searching it out, you will be able to do it. Um, base jumping has gone through a, a very interesting last 15 to 20 years, um, and especially the last five to seven, where the accessibility to the equipment, the accessibility to the instructors has grown. Uh, when I started jumping, somebody that had a, a thousand or 1500 base jumps was 
very experienced and had been around a while. Um, and now if you have a thousand or 1500 base jumps, you're almost a, not a dime a dozen, but there's quite a few people that have a ton of jumps. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's neither good nor bad. It's just a, a consequence of the sport growing and getting older. What is the biggest difference? I mean, there's the obvious, right? Like you're a lot closer to the ground. So I guess the, the, any small thing happening incorrectly, the ability to recover from that is a lot less as opposed to falling from a, from an airplane. But I mean, is it, is it more than that? Like what makes that risk so much more? Um, so I, I, I consistently equate the equipment to the differences between a bicycle and a motorcycle, um, ostensibly from the outside to a layperson to those two things, you would look at them and go, Oh, they're basically the same. Um, mechanically base jumping has less things that can go wrong. It is much more like a bicycle, right? Uh, as opposed to a motorcycle, which has mechanically more things that can go wrong. Now, the motorcycle can possibly get you somewhere faster and safer. The bicycle takes a whole lot more training to be able to utilize um, in the same manner. And that, that's about where the, the similarities in there. I, I just like equating it mechanically so that people have an understanding. Like just because they look the same doesn't necessarily mean they are the same. Sure. Um, skydiving is a sport. It has a lot of regulations. Uh, all of the bits and pieces have been worked out over the last 50 plus years. Um, base jumping is essentially completely unregulated and the equipment was still being figured out. Um, I, I was doing test jumps on parachutes not more than 10 years ago. Um, oh, wow. They're, they're still designing how some of this stuff can be more efficient. Um, so as of 15 ish years ago, the equipment was still killing people. Now they've, started getting past that learning curve. Um, and it is a learning curve, right. For manufacturers to get past that. So that's a big difference. It's just the mechanics behind the thing. And then beyond that, you are that much closer to the ground. Right. Um, and when you're that much closer to the ground, your ability to react and act on a scenario that you're presented with is possibly unrecoverable if you make a single wrong choice um that's not the case necessarily in skydiving hmm. so the difference with base jumping as opposed to skydiving is what is between your ears and what you've done on the front end training wise is going to be deeply reflected in the choices you make how you react to scenarios uh the jumps that you choose to make and then whether or not you're going to survive the majority of people that base jump or have base jumped are in and out of that sport inside of three years. Either they get hurt, they see somebody get hurt, they die, or they watch somebody die. There are not that many people that have been jumping 10, 15, 20, 30 years. There just aren't. Um, mm -hmm. This will be my 14th season base jumping. Man. Uh, sorry, 13th season mm -hmm. base jumping. And it's just not that that common. Um, I just enjoy the activity. Yeah. Which is rad as shit. I, I mean, I, I try to tell myself that I would get in an airplane and jump out. And then my brother reminds me that there's an airfield like 20 minutes North. And he's like, I will go the moment you say you want to do it. So I question myself. Um, 
but it's so fascinating. I mean, I've, I've been in, I grew up uh, in the Northwest or uh, sorry, Northeast, Northwestern part of Pennsylvania, like Allegheny okay. national forest. And so there was a several occasions where driving places, you know, I'd be on the interstate and I would see like a group of people and, you know, they're like, Oh shit, they're either bungee jumping or they're jumping off of this bridge right now. Yeah. So it always fascinated me. Uh, but like to your point, obviously small group of individuals that are doing it and actively, and to be able to have a conversation with one, uh, never really presented itself to me. Um, I'd be curious, like, was there ever an application for this in the military, in the seals, or was that like the liability so high that they would not even risk something like that in the seals? I mean, that's essentially a pipe dream. Um, there, there's really no, no need. And even there's been arguments about skydiving being pulled out, um, as an insertion platform, really, uh, ex- except for kind of the far end of the spectrum. Um, they, they would... just don't use it very often. There haven't been that many combat jumps made. It's difficult. It's dangerous. Um, the risk is just often not worth the reward on the back end for upper leadership. Uh, when you're dealing with a person that probably costs the military multiple millions of dollars in logistics to train. So there's likely a better way to do the thing that they're trying to accomplish um, that is not skydiving. Now it has happened. Uh, I've known about a half dozen guys, I think on like that I can think of uh, personally that have done combat skydives and it's, it's incredibly dangerous and, the fact that they did it is really cool. Yeah. But it's not common. I mean, you're talking a couple handfuls of times that it's been done in the last 20 years. Very interesting. So still doing the squirrel suits, I would imagine oh, yeah. this is then like the next level of danger. If I'm assuming correctly, because yes, it's, it's really a variation of base jumping, if I'm not mistaken, right? Any any time that you're jumping with a single parachute system, which is what a base jump is, um, is going to be included in that that spectrum of things. So if you're if you're jumping from 150 feet or from 5,000 feet, if you have one of those systems on your back and you're leaving a fixed object, meaning not an airplane, it's a base jump. So what would then constitute like to your point? Like planning this is is a crucial part of success, right? It's also a part yep. of the experience. You want to get a badass view. You want to accomplish something probably challenging. If I, you know, it seems like that's the kind of guy you are. So how, what constitutes the ability you can't, I'm assuming you can't just jump off of any peak with a wingsuit on and have a successful flight. You need to have certain geographical elements in play to kind of yeah, create you, like draft what, or. What you need is the same sort of thing. Um, I don't know if you ski or snowboard, but if you know anything about that yeah yeah loosely loosely um it's a similar sort of thing like you need specific angles you need a specific amount of uh, vertical relief um, vertical relief underneath you vertical relief out in front of you uh to accomplish a jump because at at the very best those suits are getting a three three and a half to one glide ratio so you know like if you're looking out Oftentimes you, you look out and say about 45 degrees or a little bit shallower is about as far as you're going to be able to travel. So if you're looking out and that's how far it is to your landing area, then, okay, that's possible. But then underneath you, um, 
I mean, there's guys that are doing stuff where you need to have forward travel once you leave the exit point uh, within uh, 150, 190 feet, which is not very big. So, I mean, that's a 17-story building for, for anybody. Yeah, you need to be moving away from the object. Um, that's not within my comfort level. <laughs> Yeah, uh, four four hundred feet's about my comfort level of you know I'm totally clearing a thing, and that's still not very big. Yeah, I watched a video on YouTube, and I'm like I'm sitting here on I'm getting sweaty just thinking about this. It was somebody <laughs> jumping off of a peak, and they have it was like a GoPro video where they're in a valley essentially, like just cruising down in between two mountains, or at least it seems like that. And seems like they are within 10 feet, 15 feet of the ground. I mean, is that an optical illusion or is that reality? No, to... and you can be a lot closer than that. Oh, God. <laughs> um, there's been instances where guys have had grass stains or have touched uh, tree branches. So uh, that's not recommended. Um, humans are still made out of water and bone. We're basically yeah. just jello and hitting anything at 120 to 150 miles an hour will almost certainly kill you. So 120 to 150 somewhere in there. And it, how, like how much control I've never sky, I've never gone skydiving. I have done the eye fly and that yeah. in and of itself, like I didn't realize how not loose I am in my core because like the need to get like very, like have a lot of flexibility in your core. I was like really tense and, just you know 15 minutes of that left me extremely like wrenched and i didn't feel like i had as much ability to control things like i had general movements but i would imagine you have to be able to like on a dime make a slight adjustment that then translates into directional change for you yeah and you can and there is a lot of control um funny enough it's it's very much it's very much like skiing or surfing or high level skateboarding where to teach somebody how to do it. It's, it's kind of the, uh, do less, do less, do less, relax, relax, relax. And then once you understand the concept, it's no, now you need to do more. And now you actually really need to be engaged, you know, so that there, the process to learn how to do that can be ultimately confusing for a lot of people. Um, and actually, so I, I don't, train in jujitsu, but I have a lot of friends that do, and it's very similar to that. It's like a language, yeah. right? It's you learn how to do a couple little things that then allow you to do all the other things. You know, it's like, Hey, I'm going to teach you a few concepts and then we can sort of tear apart these concepts. And then you can understand how to apply them in ways that maybe you wouldn't have understood had I not taught you those concepts before. Yep. Um, so flying wingsuits is, is very similar to that. And I've been doing it since 2009, um, early 2010. And a lot's changed with them. Um, wingsuits were relatively new then. And now they're at a point where it, they're much easier to fly, which is fantastic. It's also scary because you're seeing people with much lower levels of experience and time in the sport participating um yeah it's it also wild. i would imagine the technology increases would push you to take greater chances and risks because of your ability to do so possibly yes and 
we've seen the result of that. There's a lot of people that it used to be there was a, a standardized set of progressions like, hey, you're going to do this many jumps like this, this many jumps like this, and then maybe someday you'll get into a wingsuit. And that's because they're, they were terrifying and a little scary to fly and you were gripped while you were doing it. Now you can throw somebody into essentially a Ferrari and here's the keys, rock and roll. Um, and actually a race car is a great example. You know, uh, a formula one car would be very much like an old wingsuit where if you drive it wrong, you'll stall it, right? They just, they don't function. Hmm. The gearing's too tight. Now uh, it's more like handing somebody the keys to a brand new Land Rover. Mm -hmm. Like any retard can drive that. Some paddle like shifters I, I, and a gas yeah. pedal. I, <laughs> I can teach a monkey to drive a new car. Yeah. I can't teach a monkey to drive a, you know, a 70 series Land Cruiser with a four on the floor. What was the moment back then that made you say, okay, I'm going to put this thing on and jump off of this peak <laughs> to do this, knowing um, that all of those things are like reality at the time? I just thought it was something really cool. Uh, and initially, I got into base jumping because I, I saw a old movie, um, old from the late '80s. It was a student film project from USC, and it was a guy jumping off of buildings in Los Angeles. Um, the movie was called Stealing Altitude, hmm. uh, so it's kind of a clever name for that film because they're stealing altitude. They're just getting into buildings and jumping off. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And uh, the Navy had just been kind enough to pay for a little bit of training, and I learned how to skydive. And so I thought, well, let's start base jumping because I want to do that thing. And I was able to learn how to do that and jump off buildings. And I did that for years, and then I started getting into the wingsuiting. Um, wingsuiting really wasn't a thing for me. That was before the YouTube generation. Uh, it wasn't in videos. It wasn't. I mean, there must have been maybe a half a dozen things you could see that they were using for commercials. Uh, it was a very avant-garde type of activity. Now you find it everywhere. I mean, GoPro has it in their advertisings, right? Man, so what's the what's the flight that you're preparing for here? And you said this fall. Um, so in August, I'll be headed out to. Uh, most likely northern italy uh there's a, a whole bunch of jumps out there so yeah i'm uh i'm training for that a little bit just kind of getting my feet back into the water and i'm also getting ready for hunting season i was just gonna ask you so like that's the other thing you know uh, the hunting you're you're guiding and it looks like shooting yeah. photography as well in yeah. alaska how do you find time four things that require such focus, dedication, precision to execute where the consequences are dire. So it's like, you, you would think some people would be like, I'm going to do that all day, every day. It's going to be my life. I'm going to breathe it. But you're doing multiple things that require so much focus and time and dedication. I mean, a, it's commendable. It's one of the reasons why I want to talk with you because that's uncommon amongst people but it shouldn't be at least the thought of being able to do multiple things, but it's, we're so far away from that. Like everybody's a one trick pony. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I couldn't imagine being like stuck in a world like that. And I feel bad for anybody that yeah. is, but the things that I'm doing 
are on such a different level from a consequences perspective. And so like, how do you manage that time? And then, yeah, I would love to hear about the hunting exploits and kind of what you've been doing up there. So, um, I, I parted ways with black rifle in February of this year. I was working there for almost five and a half years. And, um, while I was there as a photographer, I was also given the leeway and the breadth of time to be able to do my own thing. And that, that came at the expense of making a ton of money. And that was, that was my choice because I like being able to participate in activities at a high level. Um, if I'm going to be base jumping, I'm going to be doing it well. If I'm going to be doing fitness, I'm going to be doing it well. If I'm going to be doing archery, I'm going to be doing it well. If I'm going to be hunting, I'm going to do it as damn well as I can do it, you know, and on and on. And so while I was there, I began to develop the habits of that, you know, creating a lifestyle that revolved around being able to consistently practice doing everything as well as I can do it. Um, and now I work for protect and those guys started a, a supplement company and they've given me the same sort of leeway. And I had that conversation with them. Um, and this is leading into the, how do you do it? It's, you have to make a choice between having a life that revolves around making the money and whatever that means to whomever that is, or experiencing life as you want to experience it. So I, I had a discussion with them. I said, Hey, this is who I am. I, I, I work out, I, I do the fitness thing. I cook my own food that takes up 10, 15, 20 hours of my week. You know, I do archery. I, I practice my photography. I learn new skills on a regular basis. I, I guide two to four months out of the year. Um, I base jump, I skydive, I backcountry ski. And if, if I can't do those things, I can't work here. And so they said, Hey, come in at this level and you can continue doing those things. So it's a choice people have to make. You have to consciously be okay with bucking the system mm -hmm. in order to manufacture the life you want, because if your time's not valuable, somebody else is going to value it and take it from you. And doesn't it all lead back to, I mean, not that money's the root of it all anyways, but people who feel like, oh man, if I'm not putting that focus, I have this responsibility. I, I'm a true believer that you will more than likely find financial success if you're doing what you love to do anyways. And at the end of the day, you know, you're probably going to be way happier as a result. You, you definitely will be way happier as a result. Uh, but I, I don't think people have to think that they're picking one over the other. I think you have to be true to yourself and that kind of guides the way for you in a way. I, I, I completely agree. And guiding the last five years, working at black rifle, doing, continuing to jump, hunting on my own, learning the skills I've been learning. Those are the only reasons that I am also working at protect they wanted me because I was that guy. Yeah. One can't so be I, without the other, right? You got to, no, like, I'm not yes. all the, if I can't be doing these things, then I'm not valuable to you anymore. That's a great point. Uh -huh. And the only reason they wanted me in the position they have me is because I am that guy. And, you know, I think people are afraid to make that choice 
and you know for good reason i mean it's the toughest housing market that there's been ever people are having a hard time with jobs they're deeply in debt so yeah i understand that it's it's a hard choice to sit there and make but uh, you just have to decide what you want and you oftentimes and i just heard this in a book uh do less but better and that came out of essentialism is the name of the book. And I, I rec like I got that recommended to me by the guy that's running our marketing at protect and damn, is it a good book? Um, and that is a precept that comes from there. It's less, but better. You know, if you're constantly saying yes to everything, all those things are not getting the full breadth of your attention, nor are they getting the right amount of attention. And, and you need to value your own life and your own time because at the end of it, you're the only one that has to answer for all of the good things or all the bad things that happened, right? Mm, yeah, so true. Yeah. Is this mentality something that you had prior to joining the SEALs or have you through service, through all of your additional experiences in life that have come from that, continued to develop this? Like, I guess what I'm... I. I have a friend, he's a Green Beret, um, Delta mm -hmm. Force guy, and he he made a decision, and I would say like that decision has then impacted his life, as opposed to other people who I feel like already have kind of a certain way, whether it's instilled at you know childhood from their parents, the way they were raised, and then that's carried through this medium of you know being a, a high performing you know, servicemen or whatever else that they choose to do with their life? Or is it kind of, I mean, maybe it's, I'm answering it for you, or is it a combination of all of that? I, I'm sure it's always a combination for everybody. It yeah. just leads it's itself just whether, one way it, more. It, it's whether or not um, the choice to do the thing and then ending up getting selected for one of those programs is yeah. then the catalyst. Or if you were very much like that and that was the only thing that you had, like, for instance, uh, Jack Carr, right? The, the author, um, he's a good friend of mine. And he talks about how his entire life was geared towards, I want to be a Navy SEAL. This is the thing I want to do. So that would be somebody where being selected to become a SEAL was merely the catalyst that kind of tipped the boat in the correct, right. correct, his correct direction. Um, I would put myself more in the boat of the guy like your buddy that's at, uh, at CAG where I I had some of the skills and some of the bits and pieces in there. Uh, I was a relatively competitive track and field guy. I did art. I I played an instrument, but I was a bit of a mess. Like I was kind of all over the place. Um, joining the military and then ending up getting selected and becoming a SEAL and staying in for nine years changed my life in a direction where I had a lot more consistency. Um, I understood how to build habits. I, I think that it, a lot like the guy that you're friends with, yep. changed my life a lot more than say somebody uh, like Jack or like Andy Stumps, another example of somebody that wanted to be a SEAL from when they were young. So they started emulating um, the, that early on to try to almost will it to happen. Like I'm going to live this, breathe this so that when that opportunity yeah. arises... And that's kind of and, what I was and, getting at, right? Like, yeah. because I, I'm really interested in those principles because 
I look at you and, you know, fellow seals and everybody that, that embodies that there's this, you know, accountability. I mean, shit, I've got, you know, discipline equals freedom, right? Like, and I, I heard a quote once and it was undisciplined children become undisciplined men. And yep. now I have two young boys, right? Going to be four and two years old this summer. And oh, man. Oh, right. I am dude. They're outflanking my <laughs> wife and I hourly. And it's like so crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a blessing, but I the, come from a family of three boys. So I get I it. I'm the oldest of four. And so like, Oof. yeah, my parents, you know, and I think it to this, like I didn't grow up in a disciplined household. Like I'm so fortunate. Like my parents were real with me. So I think that yeah. was the element, like every parent I think has their lane that they can really impact. And Mine were, they were young when they had me. They mm -hmm. were very honest and real. They never really hid anything from me. They were honest as much, probably more so than they should have been. But that I think gave me a different lens to look through life. Um, I was not disciplined. Like I can't remember bringing homework home. I never had someone saying like, did you do your homework? I was, I was a good athlete. I was in a small town. So I had some, you know, I guess, popularity, which allowed leeway in areas. And I was involved in things. And so that was my way of getting through things. And then when real life hit, I was like thrown baptism by fire where it was like, oh my God, I have bills. Like you got to pay that. What am I going to do? Like jobs. And so I had really on the job training, which in its own right now as a 36 year old, like I have friends that never had to go through any of that and they they're struggling when the world throws them adversity. Yeah. Um, so to me, it doesn't really matter how you get it, but I'm always interested to understand like if it was in the seals and you kind of have a reality of what life was like prior to that, what were those things that it teaches, which then changes the trajectory. And it's like, you said consistency, building a plan, building a schedule, which, you know, for anybody that's listening to this, because there are a lot of people that listen who are trying to figure out ways to change. It's like, start there, right? Like make your bed in the morning, which, you know, it's that famous speech um, that I've watched countless times, but it's, and I've said to like family members and friends, like make your fucking bed in the morning. Uh, but it does matter. It's so important. And is there other things that they instilled or is it really that simple at the core? I mean, I, I think that is as simple as it is, right? Create habits, be consistent, and everything else follows. Uh, you may not be successful. Mm -hmm. Success is not guaranteed, but you can be satisfied at your effort. And those are not necessarily intrinsically linked. They can be, and often they are. Um, I mean, would Herschel Walker have been an incredible football player regardless of what he did in high school? Yeah, probably. He had the genetics. Now, he's one of the greatest athletes that ever lived because of the consistency and effort he put in. Did he work out harder than anybody else? No. Did he work out more consistently with better effort? Absolutely. You know, or you look at somebody like Michael Phelps, right? Um like 14 years of training before he won a gold medal. And now he's the most meddling human being that's ever walked the earth. Mm -hmm. Consistency is the thing. 
And it's always been that for humans. Humans are efficiency machines. We become efficient at whatever we want. That's what we're very good at. Very, very good at. But you can become very efficient at being lazy. You can become very efficient at eating like crap. You can become very efficient at creating a lot of really bad habits, you know, regardless of what they are. The, the trouble now is it's so easy for so many people to have access to those things that will destroy them that you often find people that are efficiently doing it as opposed to taking what is the hard route. You know, I, I don't ascribe to, nor do I find it entertaining to see the like yelling, screaming man camps that are kind of popping up. Um, they're filling a void for some people, but I, I just don't see, I, I see an opportunity missed there. I see this kind of conversation as a better way for people to grow. You know, to see, hey, I don't need to be like that person because you're never that person. You are N of one. You are who you are. So start making choices that you're going to be happy with and start being consistent with them. And that's it. That That's just, that's where it's got to start. So that's why I'm such a big fan of Jordan Peterson, because it's yeah. like, it's just all about like accountability and be better today than you were yesterday and just continue to try to take that forward. And, you know, you can build upon it so much, right? And it's also fueled by this like world of social media where everybody wants a hack, right? It's like, what's the hack oh, yeah. to changing my life? What's the hack? Because like, oh, the hack to, there's a hack for everything. There's a hack for more followers. There's a hack for, you know, making money without needing to go to a job. There's all these hacks, but it's like, it's emptiness, right? It's, it's superficial things. It's money, it's popularity, but it's not, it's not scratching that itch deep inside that honestly, I mean, maybe it's a, it's naive to think that everybody has that. I, I feel like we're all humans. We have to, even if you don't recognize it, but I've had very strange conversations with some people who are like on a different wavelength where that doesn't matter to them. And they're just almost brainwashed or maybe consistently into that habit of being undisciplined or having uh, an idol of some other importance. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, man. I, I pray every day and hope every day that's some way, shape or form, something will happen, which changes the trajectory that we're on. But, you know, I, I'm losing, I'm losing faith daily, unfortunately. And I hate to say it. I like to be an optimist, but. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. It's nothing, it's nothing you can contribute to. You can create a better place just by allowing people to hear the opportunity of change, you know? So uh, I love taking time to have conversations like this and to do these kinds of things where if what we're saying helps a single individual and then that helps another and that helps another, you're mm -hmm. creating change, right? The positive change and allowing people to then be their own apostle of that change out in the world is the thing that we have to be doing. Yeah, no, nobody's here to save us, right? <laughs> no. We have to save ourselves and it self-rescue. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's so true. You mentioned the hunting. So, mm -hmm. you know, grizzly bear, I'm assuming, is that primarily what, or is that, are you guys doing everything? Moose, grizzly? So you know? the guy that I, the guy that I guide uh, for and with, 
is Cole Kramer and Cole and I mostly do brown bear. So it's coastal wow. brown bear okay. and mountain goats and black tailed deer. Um, occasionally he'll do moose hunts. Uh, I haven't gone on um, a guide. I haven't guided moose. I've hunted moose, but I haven't guided moose. Uh, I've guided all the other three and grizzly bear is, uh, it's a, it's a different subspecies of bear and uh, the, we only have grizzly bear down here in the lower 48 and then it's um it's above a specific parallel in alaska um, I'm, i i don't want to like throw it out there because i i think that i have it wrong but regardless coastals are coastal for a reason and sure. they're they're the big huge ones um mm -hmm. you know you're talking nine to 12 feet long uh a thousand to 1400 pounds it's a is big this animal. like a fognac island area or is that uh, so a fog neck is yes you can hunt them there and that would qualify as like a, a kodiak or a coastal brown bear right there and a fog neck is the next one over from kodiak you can actually see it from kodiak so how long have you been doing that now because i i think you were talking a little bit about that when you were on rogan she said what like mm -hmm. the beginning of the pandemic yeah actually uh that was right Shit, that was like right as that stuff was happening. It was still so low key that I don't think anybody really was paying it too much mind. Uh, I think I did that podcast in must have been the end of January or February of uh, nineteen. I, I think I'm one of the few people that turned him down the for like two or three times in a row. Really? <laughs> yeah, I I just I turned him down on scheduling and time, and I was like, hey, these this is what'll work, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, oh yeah. well. You got to laugh out of that. That's really cool. Uh, but yeah, it's been, what would that be like three and a half, four years or so? Very cool. What's, um, I guess, in all of those experiences, to boil it down to one's probably cheapening it. But I mean, is there one story from a, a coastal brown bear hunt that just sticks out more than any that almost like summarizes a little bit of what that is for somebody who's never going to get the experience to do it? Um, yeah, they're, they're all exceptionally different. We had one this fall where it never, the temperature never came above 25 degrees and it snowed and rained for like 16 days in a row. Um, in the spring we were on an archery hunt where it was gorgeous weather. It also snowed, it frosted, it was 75 degrees um, what, what I can say about hunting coastal bears in Alaska is if you want to feel some emotions that are probably close, if not as close as you can get to what people felt during the Pleistocene or people felt before, uh, I mean, in the Paleolithic, that's about as close as you're going to get. You are hands down as far out in the wilderness and on your own as you can almost possibly get in the world now. And you're hunting a creature that easily kills moose. And in Alaska, a moose can be 2,000 pounds. Yeah, I don't think people realize how fast and agile they are for being as large as they are. Because it's like we think of bears as yeah. like this like kind of like humbling, like big meandering tank. Yeah. And it's like they can close I, the distance so fast. I think... 
I think Rogan said it on a podcast. It might've been with Cam Haynes. Like I can't recall, but he said, why do people believe in monsters? There, there are monsters out there. I mean, brown bears or grizzly bears too. They can run as fast as a horse. Mm -hmm. They can climb trees, cliffs, and they can swim. So yeah, good luck finding something else. That's just as terrible. It's worse than anything you could dream up. Uh, And they're silent. I mean, I've heard, I've heard stories of guides and other friends of mine that have had brown bears walk within a yard or two of them, and they didn't hear anything except for them breathing. Oh, my God. That, I mean, when you're already on edge knowing you're in that environment, I could not. I mean, oh, to your point, you must just feel like you're constantly on edge, constantly about ready to be ambushed, listening you know, is there ever a break where you can kind of take a breath and and like sit down and eat some food or is it? Yeah, I, all, all the time. And I, I think that has to do with being inoculated to the scenario. You know, sure. I, we don't have unreasonable fear of what's going on because it is unreasonable. Uh, it's just, it's, that's a terrifyingly scary animal, but in the end it is just a bear and you should know where it is. And if you don't know where it is, you should understand how to react to one when you come into contact with mm. it. Um, humans are meant to be there. Like we're meant to encounter these things. And right now, most people live 80% of their time indoors. And uh, most people don't do anything physical with their hands, you know, and a lot of people don't even have dogs that look like what dogs are supposed to look like. Yeah, regardless. How true is that? Yeah. Um, We're we're stepping a a long ways away from what our genetics are meant for, which is interesting because I think in the whole scheme of human history, the amount of time that we've spent, if you boil it down in like a 24-hour day, it's something like one minute is how much time we've been living indoors when our genetics have been completely just built on the scaffolding of all of those yeah. experiences over millions and millions of years that I mean, yep. if you just use the rules of nature and every other living organism, that's what drives evolution. And to think and be so like just arrogant that that hasn't had its imprint more so than the 200 years that we've been kind of living the semi, you know, industrialized sedentary life. Are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. You know, you think, I mean, they just discovered a um, some stone artifacts in Oregon up the Klamath River Ugh. that point towards human occupation of Oregon uh, a little somewhere around the 18,000 years ago, Mark. Um, that's insane. Just, yeah, and, that, and that's, that's very young for human history. Yeah. Um, Homo sapiens came into Europe 40 plus thousand years ago. It, it's wild to think of some of the time scales that are involved in in this and and what's going on with human history and how we should be interacting with with what's out there uh yeah it, it it's things like we we coexisted and we co-lived with neanderthals for 30 40,000 years 40,000 oh. years i mean shit man like the the longest modern inhabitation of a port 
is in uh, Lebanon, and that's only been there for 6,000 years. That, that's, that's not even a quarter of the amount of time that we were coexisting with a human species that doesn't even exist anymore. You're familiar with <laughs> Randall Carlson and all like all of the yeah. kind of younger Dryas impact theory. I mean, yeah, I don't know how anybody can really argue, obviously, the details. I don't know how we can really ever know the specific details. Yeah, but that like civilization has to have had multiple peaks of intelligence or advancement in civilization. I, to argue that that's not the case now, based on everything that we know, but then we're so willing to jump to aliens and that they've been able to do this like in other galaxies and, and they'll visit us, but we won't entertain the fact that we're living on the footprint of millions and millions of years, probably. And, you know, I, th I think our understanding of time is really, really skewed. And what's possible over the length of time that this rock's been circulating the sun in the manner that it has been like that in and of itself. And then who the hell knows what even is before that? Like, you know, which, based make, on which makes it and it makes it very important for people to hear and see people acting on what I say often, which is, look, you're living in a body. You have hardware that is 20 to 40,000 years old with software that's from yesterday. And that hardware is meant to be meant to function in a specific way. And it's done that on purpose. And it does it really well. Now the software can aid it or it can destroy it. And I think most people are downloading software that is just, it's using the worst parts of our system mm -hmm. against us. Um, and by that, I mean like the efficiency thing. Yeah, we're efficiency animals. We're really good at being lazy. We're really good at laying around. That's because 45,000 years ago, you had to rest when you could rest because the rest of the time you were looking for food or somewhere to sleep or to get away from something. And now you can be as lazy as you want. I mean, it's, it's wild to watch and it doesn't have to happen. And I think a lot of people should instead be aspiring to be a better version of themselves. Like you said, like be better than you were yesterday. And uh, that, that's a major component for why I wanted to learn to guide um, because I wanted to be a better hunter. Um, why I want to learn to build bows because I want to understand the history and then apply that. Why I do so much fitness stuff. It's because I'm training for my life. I, I just, I want to be a fit version of me. Yeah, it's, all of it is consistency. All of it is habituating things that will aid in being an asset to everybody around me as well as myself. I think there's something really interesting too, because I was going to ask you a really, I don't want to say stupid question, but I was going to say like, how do we get more people to understand that, to do like more program, like I'm almost sad that I thought that way. Like, because I, it goes back to that taking the first steps to do anything right? Like at the end of the day, people just need to do it. 
I didn't do jujitsu. It was very terrifying to be like, I'm going to walk into this place with a bunch of guys who have probably been coming here for seven or eight months who are really good. They've got relationships and I'm the new guy. Like, how am I going to get treated? Do I want to be embarrassed? Do I want, and it's like the moment that I was like almost embracing the, I'm going to get my ass kicked three or four days a week for an hour straight and be cool with that and completely leave my ego at the door that I was able to take that step and then benefit so much. And it's no different than quitting your nine to five to go start your own business because you're like, why am I, why am I putting all this time in to make somebody else rich or, you know, put fill in the blank. Right. But it goes back to that. You've got to get to a place where taking action is the habit and not running away from the fire. Yeah. Or allowing somebody else to light the fire for you. You know, you just got to make a choice. And oftentimes, um, so I've had, I've had the cool opportunity this summer to go to some archery events, um, where protect is like, we're selling our product, which is hydration stuff, stuff to help you sleep, uh, non-toxic sunscreen. It's like very basic things, very basic ingredients, high-end stuff. And it's so cool for me to be able to look people in the eye and tell them, look, I just want you to have a better body so that you can make better choices and do more things that you want to do. So sometimes what that takes is being very succinct with somebody and saying, how well do you sleep? Start there. Just take action on your sleep schedule. Right? It's it's so simple almost everybody has control over that. And people that don't think they have control over something as simple as their sleep either are stuck in a job that screws them in that way, which maybe you can get out of it. They have an infant. Okay, well, that's going to end at some point. (laughs) Or sleep just isn't a priority. You know, usually when people say I can't do something, what they're trying to say without saying it is that's not a priority. Make it a priority. Make your well-being the priority. It's a great place to leave it. I I did actually forget one thing. Did you ever go on the spot and stock mountain lion hunt that you were talking about? It's been like what two years, three years? Yeah, about two years. years. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, I've had a couple of people offer to help. Um, yeah. I've had mountain lion tags. For Utah, every time I go out, so I'm hoping for an encounter. It'll happen at some point. You uh, feeling like you kind of got to that point over the that time period where, if it presents itself now, you feel confident to to execute on that. Yeah, if a mountain lion walks up in me as I'm cleaning an elk or a deer this year, and I have a cougar <laughs> tag, I'm going to be shooting it. Period. Nice. So if somebody somebody out there ends up seeing a picture of me with a mountain lion and a deer in the same picture, there's a reason. Badass. <laughs> we'll see. Now, very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, man, I Trevor appreciated a ton. This was a blast. We touched on literally all the things at a high level that I really, really wanted to. Um, awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's always great to get the insight of somebody who's done more than just talk to talk. You know, there's, a level of respect, you know, both for the sacrifice and, you know, the service to this country, which is so much appreciated for me and, and everybody else, but just the world lacks 
people who follow through and who take action. And I think it doesn't have to be, you know, going uh, coastal brown bear hunting or jumping out of an airplane or off of a bridge. It can be trying to be a better dad. It can be trying to be a better husband, a better wife, a, you know, a better employee, a better brother, a better son, you know, just a better version of you. And so I, again, I think it's the the elements that are all combined together that make that happen for people. So I appreciate you sharing, you know, at least what's been important for you, you know, through your journey. Absolutely. And uh, I'll leave it at, you know, I'm just as much of a mess as anybody else. And I hope everybody can look at everybody that they're interacting with and know that they're just at their spot in their life and to let them live their journey. And you are only in charge of your own boat. So you can write the course today. That's it. Oh, so, so right. Hey, where, um, where can people find uh, the products and, and maybe give a little shout out there, like as far as the website and uh, yeah, um, I'd love, I'd love to. So it's protectproducts.com. Uh, it's protect with a K instead of a C. And you can order them direct to consumer through there. You can find us on Amazon, um, also Instagram. So please, if you want to look at a company that was started by a bunch of veterans and a professional surfer, guys that are high level performers and everything from hunting to surfing to um, jujitsu, fitness, all sorts of stuff. They made a product that they felt was lacking. And uh, I'll tell you what, I've been using it for almost three and a half years, which is how long the company has been around. And I would have been buying the stuff regardless. Um, I think it works well. And I think it's some of the cleanest stuff on the market. That's so cool. There's a, yeah. when you know, you know, right. And it's like, yeah. there's, yeah, there's a handful of things that I'll take and, you know, I try weaving things out, but to your point, it's like, there's this consistency on my shelf where there's like a wear mark on the cabinet where it's like the same size jar. Cause it's, you just go back yep. to what works. So, yeah. And you know, it, simple is better. It's simple, not easy. That's something that protect says all the time. And uh, I find it to be damn true. No, very cool. And as I said, go to Trevor's Instagram. I'll link it. Um, it's so cool, man. Your your photography skills are second to none. And uh, you know, if nothing else, just go check that out because it's, there's a lot of cool stuff that you're throwing up there. I take a lot of pictures <laughs> <laughs> from cool places, man. Now, right on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank thank you so much for having me. Uh, have a great day. 